If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Hey, everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. And yes, you guys have heard it right. We are actually back less than six months. Um, in between times of recording. So I'm welcoming back Andrew Ramondi as we talk about um, the first and second round of the NBA playoffs and then previewing um, previewing the conference finals. So Andrew, we'll- Hey, yeah, thanks, man. You, uh, I'm, I'm actually a little shocked because you texted me saying that you wanted to do an emergency podcast doing a line-by-line breakdown of the Kendrick Lamar song Anti-Diaries so I'm a little bit I'm a little bit I'm a little bit surprised but that's probably that's probably the better that's probably the better route to take anyway uh yeah we've been watching a lot I've been watching a lot of basketball uh a little bit more so in the first round than the second rounds but um I think it's been a really fun and intriguing playoffs with a with a lot of twists and turns um obviously starting uh i mean the most notable recent development coming last night when the uh, dallas mavericks absolutely thrashed the phoenix suns the best team in the nba and uh both of our picks to make the finals right Uh, what did you what were your what were your gut reactions to this man um yeah, I, let's just start there because I, I'm there are so many different thoughts swirling around in my head. One thing I wanted to lead off with was like I think it's kind of a bummer that like that Luca injury at the beginning of the playoffs kind of left them <laughs> as a question mark when we were talking about when we were talking about potential sort of like secret contenders and stuff because I think you and I both really do like or like appreciate the feeling of this team with Luca. But because he had that calf injury was such a question mark, we never really got to have the chance to explore this this run. So but why don't we why don't we just start with the Mavs and then and then we can talk about all the Suns implications because that's something you and I have been talking a lot about. What do you what do you just make about this? What do you make of this Mavs team generally? How surprised are you? You know, like what are your what are your kind of impressions watching them? And uh, you know, what did they do in that game seven that was so effective in your eyes well i mean i think you touched upon it a little bit in terms of um in our prediction podcast or for the playoffs we barely talked about the dallas mavericks because we assumed luke is going to be out for two to three and they were talking about maybe four games or so and then i think he only ended up missing two and then they came back ended up winning um, against Utah, and then in this series, they were down 2-0 again, and then they come back and win in seven. So, it to me, it I mean, it all starts with Luka, obviously, offensively, but yeah, even, even the rest of the roster, when you're looking up and down the roster, you're not exactly blown away by the talent or anything like that. It It's really hard to imagine this team being a Western conference finals uh, team in terms of ro- uh, talent on the roster. And I think that's where 
I was a little bit surprised by how much they won by yesterday and how it it really wasn't even close. Like, like I think it was 29, 22 and that was the closest it got, um, which was like in the second quarter. And then, and then um, the sun scored five points the rest of the way um, in that second quarter, which is kind of ridiculous to think about, but like the, the, the thing that really surprised me about this team was the defensive intensity in game seven. Like, I don't think people really thought Luca could defend the way that he did. And he seemed fairly engaged. Um, Like you saw Jason Kidd kind of going up and down the sideline, like basically acting like he wanted to play. Like, I don't know. He, he seemed like a college coach to me. Um, yeah, for kind sure. Of like pacing the sidelines and uh, like yelling out defensive schemes and things like that. And everyone on the bench like seemed super into it too. Um, I, I don't know. Defensively, they just seemed like they were confusing Booker, uh, doing a lot of trapping, a lot of doubling on him to get it, get the ball out of his hands. And for whatever reason, Chris Paul seemed super passive in that game yesterday where he wasn't, whether it was like, I don't know, maybe an injury thing comes up uh, later on uh, in the week, but he didn't seem super aggressive in terms of looking for that elbow jumper that he always tries to go to when he's like in trouble, or maybe he wasn't even allowed to get into those spots. So that was like the thing as, as I was watching in game seven, I was like, wow, this is really fascinating. And even in game six, People, I think, were like some of. I think the experts that you, you know, we we talk about like Zach Lowe, uh, Nate Duncan, all these people were kind of like, oh, maybe there's something there where where the Mavs actually have figured something out in Game Six, carrying into Game Seven. Whereas I was kind of like, and I think I texted you this, like yeah, the Suns are going to roll, right? And then you're just like, yeah, I think I'm going to fade. I'm going to actually fade their finals pick and, and put money on the on the map. So what, for, I guess, like, my question to you was, what was something that you saw where you felt like, okay, I think that I feel pretty decently confident in the maps in game seven? Yeah, well, it kind of it kind of is a snowball effect in my in my mind because after after watching the sun sort of, I mean Booker was somewhat hurt in in uh, at least to start the series, so it wasn't completely uh, freaking me out. But I I actually texted you after sort of watching the um watching the Suns struggle. A little bit, like in that kind of classic first round way, but have some real clunkers against the New Orleans Pelicans. I actually did text you like after the first round ended, like, you know, in turn, because I, I'm a very, very recreational NBA better. Like I don't really do it during the regular season just because I think that NBA is so weird night to night, but as sort of the series and the flow start to emerge, I, I like picking my spots on games. And I did tell you, like, I'm kind of liking this this Mavs team to maybe make it to the Western Conference a little finals a little bit. I also was big on the Bucks, so you know, I'm obviously not that smart. But uh, the reason I was doing that was like it's kind of twofold. One, the Suns just didn't they didn't quite I don't know for a team that was so dominant in the regular season, and you know, we can zoom out on the Suns momentarily. 
But, like, they just didn't really have that, like, we're rolling to the finals sort of vibe mm-hmm. about them that I was maybe expecting. And then simultaneously, it just it just struck me that the Mavs had really, you know, you and I have done our fair share of sort of bagging on Jason Kidd over the years. But it really yep. <laughs> did look like post-Kristaps Porzingis trade, you start to started to see this in the in the in the jazz series where like with Luca out Jalen Brunson was just absolutely rolling and then later in the Sun series with kind of guys like Spencer Dinwiddie shouldering some some load as well and then obviously Luca is just Luca like it does seem like this five out style they've been playing you know kind of where it's like four guys and then Kleba who is a who is a center like he's kind of that in that I think he's actually really really underrated um when I was home, my sure. brother's a big NBA fan, and we were just home watching NBA games around Mother's Day, and like he looked at me and he's like, "You know who's actually really good? Like Maxi Kleba." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. Like he just fills that role that they need to play this style of like being a more than serviceable rim protector while being able to space the floor." Um, but it just like long story short, it just seems like offensively they've they've honed into something, um, uh, and. Uh, defensively like they're really no slouch like I'm surprised like I just looked it up like they were like seventh in defensive rating uh during the regular season so they're mm-hmm. not as much this you know they haven't really as much been this like team you've kind of expected them to be with the Mavs with Luca, which was like high-powered offense with you know pretty bad defense they've kind of settled into a more balanced style but just like I, I they've like you mentioned it, it, and it's just worth reiterating. They played extremely like they just played so hard in that in that game seven and looked so locked in, as opposed to the Suns who had that uh, like a little bit of a deer in in the headlights vibe to them that we can that we can explain explain later. So I mean, and that was just the I certainly wasn't expecting a blowout like that, but I had a li- I just I just had some confidence going in in game seven because. Oh, another thing I wanted to point out is, like, when you looked at the results, when you looked at the results, and, like, we can later contrast this to the Bucks-Celtics series, where I think I took some fluky things that happened and sort of extrapolated them out versus, like, you know, looking at who the actual better team was. The games the Suns lost, and it was quite a wonky series with, with road teams. This happened in both series where kind of road teams were – uh uh winning more than their share of 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 games versus being at home like the games the Mavs won like they held the like you look at the game the scores and they're like fairly lopsided with the Suns scoring like 80 you know 90 mm-hmm. right you know and whatever 82 or whatever they scored last night you know having scored 27 points in the first half that like they they seem to like at least on on certain nights be finding these ways to really to really confuse the Suns and you know uh, game sevens on the road always hard but I I just felt like they they were these these teams were a lot more even than than people gave them credit for and you know I don't hold that against you saying that it was good I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been a blowout the other way um, by mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, there was just too much. The, the, the Suns hadn't shown me enough to believe that was, you know, that was a given. And clearly, um, clearly it was 
less than a given. They had one of the worst, you know, the worst stinkers in 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 NBA history. Uh, Nate Duncan, I think, like we can kind of switch to the Sun side of things and then maybe move back to the to the Mavs Warriors matchup upcoming. For sure. You know, For I sure. just wanted to, I wanted to just throw this out to you. Like Nate Duncan was tweeting about, like, is this the single most surprising result in NBA history to your to your minds, can you think of any? Can you think of anything that comes comes to mind for you that's like more surprising? Yeah, I mean it's really because this team won. You know, the Suns won sixty something games. Like, I mean, and I think the the perception of the Dallas Mavericks roster wasn't ever. I don't think anyone was just like, wow, this team is going to make the Western Conference mm-hmm. Finals. Like, I, I think Yeah, just from a like, talent perspective. Right, exactly. I think people were like, Luka, oh, he's amazing. But then yep. they don't have a second guy. And then especially when they traded Kristaps for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis uh, Bertans, they were just kind of like, okay, it seems like they're just retooling and seeing maybe for next year what can happen. And then and then all of a sudden this team is in the Western Conference Finals. And I think that's and, – and my whole thing about this is when you're looking back at the Utah series, looking back at the Sun series, is it just as simple as, like, Luke is the best, was the best player in both series and that's why the Mavs moved on? I mean, yeah, man. It- it's like obviously yeah. there's so much more to it, but like usually in the NBA for our non-NBA listeners, like usually if it if you have the best player in the in the series, that team usually ends up moving on, and it seems like mm-hmm. that narrative kind of played itself out here. Yeah, I I think it's certainly that's 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 a pretty fair point and uh i think when uh, one like one thing i i remember saying when we were previewing the regular season and i was actually fairly high on the mavs i kind of posited this theory to you of like with a guy like luca is it just a matter of as long as you have luca you're always going to have a punter's chance basically mm. you know what i mean like is that what this where it doesn't quite matter what you what you put around what you put around him um you know, like if he's just that good, you have a chance. And I, I think that's part of it. You know, I do think they're like, and it'll be, it'll be interesting. You know, it'll definitely be interesting to kind of watch how this Warriors series goes because a team I've been thinking about, you know, we, I don't want to go all over the place. Like maybe we can circle back to this, but I was texting you the other day or last night just being like, are we kind of in the NFL era of the NBA where like, there is a more sort of true parody and you're seeing these wild cards emerge more and more often. Because when you think about it, like this year, the Mavs are going to make the conference finals and the Eastern conference finals definitely has, you know, two good, two teams were like, you might've picked one of them to make it, but probably not both. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Last year, the, the bucks and the, you know, the, a buck suns finals, which is surprised. And the Atlanta Hawks make the Western conference finals, you know, even Mm -hmm. a team like Toronto was like more fluky, even though they had like Kawhi, obviously, you know, they weren't like a top dominant seed and like, they were kind of a one-off as opposed to like a powerhouse. Like it's, it seems just like, especially as, you know, teams evolved to this more five out, 
defensive versatility type style, it seems like teams that are able to kind of lock in into their style, like for for a stretch, really have more of a chance of advancing than than they ever had before. Um, but you know, we'll see. Like you know, a, a team I was thinking about, you know, ironically to do kind of the Bill Simmons thing of comparing things to your to your team. Um, I I was thinking about the Blazers' run to the Western Conference Finals in 2019, which like has sort of a similar vibe to it in my eyes. Where like remember the Blazers' use of Nurkic had gone down, and like guys like Ennis Canner just like really stepped up and kind of played out of their minds. And then the superstars mm-hmm. kind of carried the load when uh, a disproportionate load when when times times called for it. So it's possible that the Mavs are kind of having a similar thing here. But the you know the Blazers never played a team like the they played you know a, a Thunder team that eventually would get split up the the following year, and then the Denver Nuggets who are sort of injured and you know. Uh, a, mm-hmm. a somewhat weak second round opponent. On the other hand, the Suns were, had the best regular, like had a fairly historic regular season, um, and uh, were you know pretty much you know, poised by most experts to 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 in to basically walk over the map. So what happened? What ha- What happened, Kevin? What happened to the Suns, <laughs> dude? I am. I've been asking myself. All of yesterday during the game when the game was over in the second quarter and then up until today before we started reading you know recording this podcast and I really don't know because I don't know maybe some injury thing and I alluded to that before some injury thing comes out with Devin Booker or something more serious or Chris Paul or I, I don't know but like for all the reports where it seems like this this team was healthy like we've never really seen a team like this highly touted that was expected to make the finals shit the bed like this is like the the like the easiest way to say it um and to me to me does this and and we could go in so many directions with the suns because i think you know giving dallas their due credit with Luca and, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie stepping up yesterday, um, Jalen Brunson, like him doing well as, um, as well in game seven, like to me, like Devin Booker, like looking at the box score and like Devin Booker and Chris Paul and the amount of points they combined for, um, especially Chris Paul struggling in the past in game six and game seven, I like, is Chris Paul just kind of like, not that we, like we knew he was entering this different part of his career, but is he really done? If that makes sense. Like he said in his press conference yesterday, he's not retiring. Um, He has like, you know, 30 million coming in next year. uh, And the year after that. Um, And then like, I think his last year is partially guaranteed. So like they have, a good amount of money on the books uh, committed to Chris Paul. And then there's all this other stuff with like Cam Johnson's up for an extension. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, he didn't sign an extension last off season. So he, he's like basically on the restricted free agency open market. So he can sign a deal with the Suns being able to match 
Um, and then there's this whole like Robert Sarver thing as to whether or not he actually wants to go into the luxury tax with this team that shit the bed in, in the second round yeah. series. So, so there's just so many questions. Like, I, I mean, I, I have like an opinion on what they should do. I don't know if that actually matches up with what is actually going to happen. If that makes sense. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's get to that in one second. Like just one more thing I wanted to mention on the, on the Suns as it pertains to sort of their failures this postseason was sure. a thing that makes it extra surprising in my mind. Is like, it's one thing, like occasionally you see in sports and, and even in the NBA where like a team has a great regular season run. Um, and it's because like, you know, they have a, uh, you know, they get a little bit lucky or like they have injury luck where other teams, you know, have or suffer time, like have a disproportionate amount of time where their best guys are out or, you know, something like that. That really was not the case with the Suns. Chris Paul missed extended time. Uh, Devin Booker missed extended time. And like they lacked various role players for various points of the season and still pretty much rolled. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not as if this team hadn't faced some degree of adversity uh, to some extent. Um, you know, I, I th- so like two things I can uh, two things I point to. And like one is more kind of first take and one is in uh, one's a little bit more analytical. I think this, you know, you saw and I think it would have definitely come out in the Warriors series had they advanced as well. You know, I think you saw, uh, like, and this even happened, uh, you saw this somewhat happened in the, um, in the Pelican series as well as the Pelicans moved towards more of a small ball style. You know, the Suns are, as far as the elite NBA teams go, a pretty traditional basketball team. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. play a center. They don't really run, you know, they run a fairly traditional offense, you know, like, it's, you know, they kind of look like uh, they have the shape of a really great NBA team from like 2017 more than 2022. Right. So I think right. like the, these, these, these combinations of like five out offenses who have defensive versatility and can do things like double Devin Booker or, you know, put big, put guys with length on, on Chris Paul without sacrificing so much, you know, on, on, on the other parts of the floor, you know, really, really gave them, gave them a little bit of, gave them fits. And I do wonder if that's something, you know, I agree with all your points about Aiton, but I do wonder if that's something that will be considered. And the other thing though, that I did think was, was interesting was just like, you know, the, their run last year in terms of, well, you know, I talked about regular season adversity, but in terms of playoff adversity, like last year, they, they played a, a very undermanned Laker team in the first round. Um, then they played, I believe, who am I? I, I think they played, 
maybe it was the Jazz. I don't know. But they either played the Jazz or the Nuggets, like a team that was like good, but not really too much of a contender and won in six games. And then they played a depleted uh, Clippers team and won in six games, you know, and then the finals, mm-hmm. whatever the finals were, what that were, were, you know, and by that point they made their finals and only, unless they completely folded, it wasn't really going to be that big of a deal. Um, like, I wonder whether Chris, what Chris Paul will look like going forward. is certainly an interesting question, but I feel like this, this game seven was truly like the first time this iteration of the Suns team had to really sort of get their, you know, with their backs against the wall, dig, dig deep. And, you know, we kind of forgot about, you know what I mean? Like the playoff demons of Chris Ball that like we maybe prematurely thought were exercised seem to rear their heads again. And Devin Booker, a guy who, you know, Certainly, he may have been the Suns MVP in the finals last year, but, you know, it's not like he has a, a particular well of post-C, pre-CP3 um, clutch performance to dig from. Also seems a little bit, you know, also seemed to, to not be up to the task. And it was just crazy. The, the intro, Just to reiterate, it, like, I don't want to harp on this too much, but, like, it was just crazy how quick they seemed to get knocked off course and how quick they seemed to fold. And, you know, I, I personally put that mostly on Chris Paul. I just think, you know, it seemed uh, – this is certainly a tough defensive team, but, like, he seemed to, at other points in the series, be able to, you know – sneak to do that Chris Paul thing where you just start sneaking to the mid range and finding shots. Mm-hmm. He only right. had eight shots tonight. I think he only had four assists, you know, and that, uh, that's on the role players too. I think they just started panicking and taking a lot of quick, bad shots, but um, yeah, you know, it just, it it's kind of one of those things where it's somewhat easy to point out and hard to point out. Now let's, you know, oh, and so turning to the sun's uncertainty real quick, we can we don't have to spend too too much time on it, but but I do have a couple takes I want to get off. One thing I wanted to add is this potential stew of what's going to happen with um with what's going to happen with this team is like the NBA has kind of not so quietly been investigating all these complaints into Robert Sarver's workplace behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's kind of a thought that perhaps they had been holding it back until, you know, this season played out, you know, to not to possibly not, you know, upset their best team while they were still trying to win a championship. But the chance, you know, if, if you're an NBA fan, like, you know, if you're an NBA fan, you know this, but if you're not, like, there are, you know, reports of Sarver potentially using racist language in in team context. Um, there's long been sort of the, just the general thought that he isn't necessarily the best guy to work for and potentially runs a, a fairly toxic or has met, presided over some toxic workplaces. If a Donald, you know, it's very hard for the NBA to own an owner, uh, to remove an owner. But if a Donald Sterling-esque report comes out about this guy that you know all of a sudden the circumstances surrounding this team change even more even more than they they had already um so but like let's let's take the eight in piece real quick um you know a two-part question would you give eight in the max and will they give eight in the max a thing i thought was really interesting that 
once again, you always see, like, when I do these podcasts, the last person I listen to, how much they impress upon me. But Nate Duncan pointed out this moment in the, uh, in the press conference that Devin Booker gave where, you know, they ask him, you know, a very classic NBA question when a good player is, like, up for a deal. Like, hey, do you want DeAndre to come back? Like, what does he mean to this team? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and mm. basically laying up for the player to be like, we want, of course, we want him back. We should do, you know, all of that. And uh, Booker was basically like, you know, that's between he and the team. And, like, We'll see what happens. Like, I love DeAndre, but we'll see what happens. And, you know, we need right. to, we need guys who are ready to play. And uh, Monty Williams apparently gave a sort of similar, you know, Aiton was – I thought Aiton was really – I mean, I thought he was really, really good in game six. Like, he had maybe he been good. one of their better players in the series. But he only played 14 minutes tonight. And similarly, Monty Williams kind of gave this uh, you got to be ready to play non-endorsement of, of him. So I would say if I were a betting man, the odds certainly look, the odds certainly look, uh, they're, they're certainly shifting in favor of him leaving. I think they already were potentially there, but is that, Mm -hmm. what, what can this team do? But but sort of jumping off of that, like, what can this team do other than run it back? Like I would personally run it back just for the, just based on the idea that like you don't really know and it connects with your Chris Paul take too like you don't really know how like next year may be their last chance you know what I mean Mm -hmm. to to win a title and it's not like letting Aiden walk gives you more financial flexibility like if you could shape this team more and like spend money to bring in you know more sort of wing players and reinvent yourselves as a as a five out you know truly modern nba team maybe i'd maybe i'd buy into that or like if you had a you know a a a really great sign and trade opportunity looming i'd see it but i i don't so and i i don't see why this team should this team has certainly had enough years of financial uh you know of not being in the luxury tax or what have you. So I personally would take the tax of like running it back. And then at this, at that point, if, you know, if things are looking more dire, then maybe you look to, to make one last deal with Paul, you know, where you ship off Paul to like, you know, a team like the Lakers or whatever, those teams will always Mm -hmm. exist. I think somewhat, Um, but it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. And if that doesn't happen, it's very difficult for me to conceptualize this team as, you know, I think they basically re-enter the murk of like the mid, the middle of the pack Western conference teams where frankly, we thought they would probably exist when, when Paul came to town. Uh, that was for a little sure. bit of a yeah. classic Ramondi monologue, but, but uh, gotta love those. What, what are your <laughs> thoughts on that? No, no. On that. So, I, I mean, I think I'm pretty, similar line of thinking as you in terms of with like let's take the eight in part in terms of what you asked would I give them the max I probably would have gave it to him last year but now like that's true I think I think now it's like I probably would give it to him but it's not my money to spend so Sarver probably isn't going to willingly come out and try to um come to to a contract extension 
and maybe of just, course maybe just tell Aiton, hey, go find your four year max. Yeah, the, probably you'll find the, it, and then we'll we'll match the offer. And yeah, we'll, that's we'll do the a other, sign and trade. Yeah, that's definitely the other part of the equation that like I didn't. I made it a little bit too much of a binary choice. It doesn't seem like the we'll see as the as the kind of the off season begins to take shape, but there doesn't seem to be a great idea of who exactly is going to sign A into a max either. Right. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be this natural team that um I and I haven't taken a look at the cap space and what the what those what that looks like, but which team has enough cap space which Aiden would be willingly I guess willing to go to and have maybe a chance at some type of winning situation slash winning basketball. I don't know if there's a team out there that fits all that criteria. Yeah, and so, and man, I'm not yeah. and I'm not just to, just to, just to barge in real quick. Just to, I kind of wanted to use this opportunity to to reiterate a point we like to make on this podcast. I'm not sure there should be because like my idea that the Suns should re-sign Aiden if 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 push comes to shove is not necessarily based on the the idea that I think Aiton is an especially valuable asset in today's NBA. He's certainly a good player, but I just think if it's the binary choice between keeping him and or losing him and not getting much in return, you you choose keeping him. But like for right. example, just like a team like you know they will they he has already gotten mentioned a team like my Portland Trailblazers. Like if my mm-hmm. if my choice you know and how to proceed with this off season is like signing and you know renouncing Josh Hart and Yusuf Nurkic and signing DeAndre Ayton to a maximum extension as opposed to like trying to trade for a guy like Jeremy Grant and keeping most of the rest of your pieces in, in play, I'm choosing that latter route because you know NBA t- like traditional centers, even if they are as skilled as Aiton is, and he's certainly shown more improvement. He's evolved into a better player than I even really expected him to be. Uh, even if he hit, like, fringe all-star centers, unless they're, like, incredible defensive rim protectors, like, like I guess, a Jared, like a Jared Allen type. Like, I'd rather have Jared Allen than, like, a DeAndre Aiton. And, uh, you know, to to make a long story short, like, I don't know, unless you're in a very, very specific situation, like, maybe I'm thinking of a team like the Atlanta Hawks or something, I'm just not sure a center like Aiton is what a smart team is going to, where they're going to sort of put, push their chips in. So uh, we shall see in, in, um, in that regard. Right. And I, I mean, doesn't this stem back from like this is the whole argument that we've had about like which players to draft, right? And mm-hmm. like Luca was sitting there for that. Yeah, I think the Aiden draft was the first time we ever podcasted, and I do yep. remember us just being like immediately sort of baby NBA analysts, being like, "Why is this guy the first overall pick and not Luca again?" And you know, ironically, you know that's. He just beat the team that took Aiton over him. Uh, right. So, yeah. Keep. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But no, no. I and I think. I, yeah, and I think it just kind of goes to this line of questioning, like if we know like what Aiton is going to be, right? And like, and like, I guess the 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 variance as to what he would become is like, 
ideally something like Joel Embiid, who's yeah extremely dominant that can't like literally even if he's on the court like defensively and offensively he's gonna yeah, can't dominate be. both yeah. yeah like he's gonna dominate both ends whereas yeah. like the most more likely scenario is like oh he's this player that like he's developed into where he's a nice player that you you'd like to have probably the third option on this team yeah where where he he can get you a bucket, he can exploit mismatches, but at the end of the day, does that move the needle com- in comparison to like this this like all world wing player? And I mean, there's questions coming out. Like, and I love Luca coming out of the draft. Like, we all know the the amount of Luca love we had on on our podcast. But like, just like in comparison to Luca, it's like it's so easy now when it's staring you right in the face but yeah. like even back then like there was still that I guess notion of like oh you take the possibly dominant big man over this this wing player that I and it like even for me now it just kind of blows my mind but like yeah that's the that's where I feel like even making that decision has kind of made them question like oh, do we re-sign this guy and get stuck with this guy? Not that they would get stuck with him, but just get commit this amount of money to him. Um, to a player that, you know, in a game seven that only played 15 minutes, and granted he was in foul trouble um, in the first half, and then for whatever reason he just stopped, like didn't play. So there's just like a lot of questions there. I would give him the max, but I just don't think he – it doesn't seem like reading everything that's kind of going around this team, like he's going to be coming back to this team. And it's most likely scenario, he'll probably get traded, signed and traded. And I don't really know what they they would be looking for um, because, I don't know, they'd probably ideally want like another wing kind of player, but I don't know if – Aiton's going to be able to give you anything in return that's really going to make a noticeable difference in terms of moving the needle to get them to um, improve their chances in making the finals. So I, I don't know. That's like, that's a big question. Like Cam Johnson's up for an extension who I think showed some things. He can shoot the ball really well. Um, from the outside, they'll probably try to re-sign him. I, I mean, I think the far more interesting question, and you, you alluded to um, what you would do in this situation, just like kind of let it ride out for the following season and then reevaluate from there and see if you can move pieces. But like the Chris Paul thing for me is like, that's probably the yeah. guy you'd want to get rid of and trade or, or do like a sure. mini reset. But like, yeah. But Chris Paul, like getting rid of Chris Paul, I doesn't necessarily solve any problems for them either. Yeah, I mean, before yeah. before Paul even came to the team, like what was this team? This team wasn't like anything special before Chris yeah. Paul got here. And like, yeah. do you really want to like try to go back to that and see like Devin Booker really struggling to even make the playoffs without Chris Paul? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. know. Yeah. Like, it, a move like that would a move like that would certainly be uh, a a move like that would certainly be 
with the belief that Booker has improved. You know what I mean? Booker has mm. improved to an extent where he can start to shoulder the load. You know what I mean? That, like, if not quite be – and I know Luke is younger, but, like – or they're probably of similar ages given how young uh, – how young Booker was when he came into the league. But, uh, you know, the idea that like, all right, well, we got two years of Paul meant like this wouldn't be, you could see this. Like, I think them making the finals actually threw this off a little bit because, you know, they were sort of really more expected to be in the, in the six to, to, you know, more in that like middle of the pack with Western conference contenders. Um, mm-hmm. so it is possible that you go like, all right, like we kind of brought in Chris Paul to be this mentor for, for Booker. He certainly has, like, he certainly improved at, like his stature as a player in, in my eyes. Like we got that. We have all these, like we've hit on some good lottery picks. We've won on guys like Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. Uh, we have a better defensive, you know, we can feel better about some of the defensive, you know, misgivings that plagued these teams in the past. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, I mean, and now we move on from Paul and we, you know, we, that improves our, our financial situation slightly. And we, we operate under the premise, like, like many teams in the NBA, we're like a playoff, a, a, a good to fringe playoff contender that will hopefully, you know, continue to cultivate assets and maybe head on another superstar down the line. You know, saying it out loud, it does, like the the problem with that premise in my eyes is like, what exactly are you getting back? Like, what's the market for? Like, the only team I can think of that would possibly be a Chris Paul trade destination right Lakers. now is the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, like, and that you'd think that shape. I highly doubt you would. I mean, who fuck? Like, it seems like uh, James Jones has. Uh, shown himself to be a good enough GM where like he wouldn't just do like a Paul for Russell type deal, but you would yeah. think it would at the shape of that. And, you know, we're playing a little bit like, you know, bleach, like we're possibly at going into fantasy right now, but um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, um, like the shape of a potential deal would probably be some sort of three-way deal where like Paul goes to the Lakers Westbrook goes to another team and some sort of assets come back to the Suns, but I don't like, like in sort of how you, how you laid out the, on the eight and sign and trade stuff, like whatever's coming back to them, I don't think is like going to be stuff that makes them better in the, in the present moment. Right. So For sure. there's nothing that's going to so, make them better or equate to you what know, I will quickly flag. I will click quickly reiterate. I think we talked about this when we were doing our Lakers. You know, I will reiterate. I have always like I've had a pet fascination with the idea that LeBron could actually get traded to the Suns. I think that would actually be super duper. That would be super duper fascinating. Like I don't think it'll ever happen, but I I've always found that to be a really really interesting idea because if I were if I were him and I were going anywhere but the Lakers I think that would be the you know the 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 situation that probably ticks the most boxes for him but uh we don't have to we have so much other stuff to talk about we don't have to we don't have to get hung up on that um with your permission I think because we've talked a lot about the Mavs maybe we can come back to that Mavs Warriors matchup at the end and move sure, over to the sure. Eastern Conference Finals, where uh, the Boston Celtics, you know, in what was a somewhat disappointing Game 7, 
prevailed over the Milwaukee Bucks at home um, mm-hmm. at home uh, yesterday in in the early game. Uh, are the let's start here? Are are the Boston Celtics the favorite to win the NBA title as of today? Uh, that's what FanDuel says, or that's what all yeah. these betting markets say. I think, uh, I looked it up the odds and they're plus 125. Um, yeah, I was a little bit, which, I was a little bit a surprised, little surprised by that in my, in my eyes. I think it's really, really close between them and the war. It seems like the casual fan as sort of my apartment was talking about it. I think people are more high on the warriors than the betting markets are. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so what's your opinion on that? I'm sorry to cut you off. I I just wanted to no, set no, that I'll get the table up a bit more. No, I I feel like. What do you make of this this Celtic? What do you make of the Celtics team two rounds in? Like I how mean, impressed are we? I'm I mean, first round series obviously they blew, blow yeah. the doors off my nets, and then like second round, you know, doesn't this like to me it actually speaks to the greatness of Giannis even more (laughs) like because he didn't really have much else surrounding him like Middleton was out this whole series Drew did not really play that well at all in the series um and Giannis was basically carrying this team on his back and that that game six where it really got close at a at a certain point and then Jason Tatum just kind of makes all these ridiculous shots where I'm just like we're texting back and forth like oh my god Jason Tatum is literally going nuclear yeah like this to me in game six specifically I think it was just basically me and you being like lol lol yeah lol yeah literally I think that was like 10 texts back and forth (laughs) just like oh my god what is happening uh just fawning over like the shot making in that game but yeah like I I feel like I want to give myself a a raise slash like a promotion as an NBA scout like I feel like I've been on in on Tatum for a while 100 percent 100 percent you this is a win for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've just been like, Oh, this guy is, can be that next guy. Um, it's just whether or not like he's going to be able to develop. I felt like I saw it all along, but yeah, this series pretty much cements to me, like what he can do now, this, now this upcoming series against Miami, I think is a really fascinating one. Um, because I don't think anyone really has Miami like, realistically winning against Boston, but they are, I mean, this team went to the finals. Like they have a bunch of different pieces that I think can actually trouble Boston a little bit more than people are thinking just because Boston knocked out the, the NBA champs. Um, But like I, there were a lot of fascinating moments in this buck series where I just thought, oh wow, they're they're going small. They're really trusting Grant Williams to like make these threes. Like Marcus Smart yeah. actually looked competent. Like it's weird to say that because he was making his his three point shots. Other than maybe that that game five where um, where Milwaukee went up three two and 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 Marcus Smart um, like made like basically Drew Holiday made two unbelievable plays on Marcus yeah. Smart. 
uh, towards the end of that game. Like, for everything else besides that, he looked pretty good doing, like, running the offense, running this team. And then, like, Jalen Brown just, like, plugged in gaps. Like, Al Horford did what he had to do to for his job, um, did his job. But, like, it just feels like this Boston team, the everyone understands their role, and this team fits in very well together. Um I'm I'm actually really curious to hear what your perspective is. Um, it like to me, was it as simple as if Milwaukee had Chris Middleton, they would have they would have won this series, or do you think do you think what Boston did in this series was something that was I don't know it, it was almost not that it was negligible that Chris Middleton didn't yeah, play or I did play, but it like was they just were the kind better like, team regardless. Right. Yeah, were they the better yeah. team regardless? Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind I of am, curious to hear your opinion Yeah, on that. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I am, like, first and foremost, I'll just say, like, as sort of a Bucks, a Bucks enthusiast, if not, you know, I enjoy watching the Celtics. Like, I've actually really enjoyed watching this iteration of them maybe the most at all. But, like, my heart certainly lies with the with the Bucks in terms of just, like, who I was rooting for to see advance. And as that, Agreed. with that, with that said, I was just kind of, like, I'm at the very, I'm not sure if I know the answer to your question about would they have beaten them with Middleton. But I'm certainly bummed that they didn't have him. Because as the series went on, you know, in game five, the Bucs are down like 15 and, and at like the end of the third, beginning of the fourth. And they basically go on this crazy tear where they go absolutely nuclear from three. And, you know, despite the Celtics still playing a high level of basketball, they steal, they steal a, a game five at home to go up 3-2. And, you know, I kind of got lured into this idea. Like, I bet on the Bucks in game six and, and mm-hmm. game seven. Just I just kind of got lured into this idea of, like, the momentum. You know what I mean? The momentum is just going towards the Bucks. And I think what just bore themselves out in game six and game seven was that, like, the Celtics were the better, at least as currently constructed, the better team. And, you know... I think a thing you mentioned to me, and I, I certainly agree having sat with it for a while, is like once Middleton was gone, like the lack of Bucks, you know, they have good role players for like what they are, but the lack of like truly competent role players definitely revealed itself. Like as in a Pat Connaughton, you know, scoring outbursts in game six, there were just not, you know, they, the, the Bucks made four threes in in game seven. Like they just yeah. did not as much gravity as Giannis was taking up. They just did not have the the sort of horses to 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 make either make to pick up the slack when he he wasn't didn't quite have the juice as like you saw sometimes in game seven or alternatively you know the guys to take advantage of those moments where Giannis's gravity is truly affecting, affecting the other team's defense. And you compare that with a team like, uh, and you compare that with a team like the Celtics, like where a guy like Grant Williams seems perfectly ready to, you know, in, in a moment, like, you know, Tatum goes out uh, with that, with that kind of whack foul uh, uh, charge. And, um, you know, they play small ball and Williams is just playing really good defense and hitting threes, you know, and he ends up with, with 20 something points. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
you know, so, so, and, you know, just real, eh, I'll, I'll focus on the Bucks and then we can pivot back to the Celtics actually just to, to try and not do as long of a monologue. Uh, but, um, the Bucks, the one thing I do want to, did want to point out with the Bucks, like, and obviously if they have Middleton, that, that problem is, is less likely to happen. You know, that's kind of all I have to really say on that front. I'm not sure. One thing I did want to point out that was like, I saw some talk on Twitter, like my friend Pierce, I have a couple of Celtics fans in my life and my friend Pearson was kind of saying this thing, this take, repeating this take I saw on Twitter. Like, remember the Bucks gave up home court to, you know, to mm. avoid the Nets. Um, but I don't know, like, right, but I'm, I'm not quite sure that really I'm, I'm, I'm by, you know, I think that's a cute narrative if you want to really throw dirt on their grave, but like, I still would have, re- you know, I think the Bucks actually would have had more trouble against the Nets than, than the Celtics ended up having. Um, I agree. And they got to play have a fairly easy first round matchup with the Bulls and simultaneously, like obviously game seven on the road makes it a pretty big difference, but they want, you know what I mean? Like the road team had success overall in, in the series on the whole. So I, I'm not sure I'm really willing to go there with that. Yeah. But the thing I am willing to go there on, like in terms of Bucks criticism was like this Bucks team, like they had, they didn't resign PJ Tucker. They basically mm-hmm. let him walk for cap reasons. Um, and then, you know, Dante DiVincenzo was not playing particularly well when he got traded, but he yeah. did get traded for Sir- – so what – Serge Ibaka was – I don't know if he was in the fucking building during the series. No. Like, he, I, he wasn't he even was, – he, he didn't play. Yeah, he didn't play. So you had ch- – you know, despite the Chris Middleton injury being a circumstance beyond your control, this team had chances to retain, either retain or, you know, or – yeah, to retain guys who would have done a better job of filling in those – like, I'd rather have Dante DiVincenzo out there than Grayson Allen if I have to work mm-hmm. with, you know, with what we got. Um, and I'd rather have uh, – and certainly P.J. Tucker would have helped, especially at, like, the Bucks have always had this, like, kind of – in a world where, like, perimeter defense has been prized, they've always had this kind of contrarian scheme where they're more of a drop coverage – let's defend mm-hmm. the paint team. Uh, and that, you know, Brooke Lopez who had been injured didn't, you know, didn't seem quite as effective in that the Celtics seemed to be a team to make a long story short, that really was able to exploit, exploit that scheme and having a guy like PJ Tucker, if push came to shove and you had to be like, all right, let's just switch or what have you, that would have made that kind of, decision a lot easier so that was probably too much of a you know i probably harped on a, that's probably a little bit of an over analysis but i do think it is an important thing to flag you know and for the bucks going yeah. forward at this point i think you're just continuing to run it back and i think it's you're pretty much just chalking it up to middleton got injured and let's, Agreed. let's move Agreed. on i think these like in the if we wanted to go really first take there will always be, you know, they've won a championship, so it doesn't matter. There will always be this question of like, would Giannis just, be, you know, is are these second bananas good enough? But I don't think that's a conversation we we need to have. We yeah, need to I mean, have they've today. already won. they've already won it. So like, 
I yeah. think this is why me and you, Andrew, share like a basketball mind because literally my thought was that for this Bucks team was like PJ Tucker, Dante DiVincenzo, yeah. and like yeah. what Dante like. Not that Dante DiVincenzo was an amazing player or anything like that, but like he could have like th- it gives you a little bit more more gives you more chances to see which of these role players are having yeah. it that night or which aren't having it. Like they could have yeah. just kept rotating these guys just to be like, okay, I guess it's uh, Dante's night tonight, and he's like yeah. shooting like he's shooting the ball like. Connaughton shot the ball in game six where like Grayson Allen playing 20 to 25 minutes a game in this series kind of hurt them a lot and like yeah. uh, and the fact that they basically gave up DiVincenzo who probably would have played in this series um, just because of the matchups and the way uh, Boston has a ton of ton of these six four six six to like six eight yeah. guys that he would have probably uh been playing against in terms of wing defense whereas Abaco was rendered useless because he didn't play at all and and that's where they I think they kind of saw um just like the stuff on the court Lopez was playing this drop coverage and then he basically had to make contests out to Grant Williams who was just basically yeah. staking out at the three-point line yeah. um, in the corners. And you'd basically see, like, Williams get, you know, five to six feet of free space to shoot the shoot the three ball while Lopez is basically lumbering over there trying to make a contest. Like, if you yeah. had someone like P.J. Tucker and, like, DiVincenzo making that contest or and, like, be, basically being able to close the gap so that, they wouldn't be worried about getting blown by on the secondary off of a pump fake. I think it could have changed a lot more things in this series. So like that's where, and I think this is where like an important point to make about like these off season moves slash like these, um, these like very small secondary moves on role players in the, in the grand scheme of things, it can matter the, especially for championship contending teams where, you know, maybe if you look back in October, November, when PJ Tucker signs two years, 15 mil for Miami, you're just like, Oh, that's like not a huge, huge deal. Like you can add grace, like add grace and Allen to like replace that production, maybe on the, in the box score. But for what, for what PJ Tucker did outside of that changes a lot of different things. And those things in the aggregate add up and, this is kind of the result that can kind of happen. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty funny that as soon as you were saying both of those names, I was thinking about those names, uh, bringing those names up. But kind of moving to Boston, Andrew, like what do you kind, what do you see from this team? We touched upon Tatum or I touched upon Tatum. Yeah. Like what do you see for this team maybe – moving forward against Miami slash I, yeah. and I don't know if you wanted to get into like the the conference preview part of our podcast yeah no we can it, we can yeah I think we can do I think we can kind of just talk about the shape of this series and then move back over to the west um yeah, yeah. So, go ahead so what, what do, do I yeah like what do you see with this Boston team against Miami and do you feel like 
do you feel like it's as far apart as maybe the betting odds say they are? Or do you like how do you foresee this series going yeah. forward? Because I'm because I think for me at least, just to just to kind of uh yeah. give like my thesis on it, I I feel like it's gonna be a lot closer than people think it's gonna be. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think the betting markets have Boston as like around a minus one forty favorite for the series, which does seem about right. But knowing how it, I'm guessing the average person is very much going to lean towards is very much going to lean towards the Celtics. Um, and I agree, like somewhat, you know, as a sort of NBA. Not a contrarian, but like as someone who really thinks about these things and and wants to question the general consensus a lot, you know, I'm looking at both of these series where it seems like the winners fairly obvious to the casual fan, and I'm just trying to fit. Like, I'm not necessarily thinking one of these teams is going to win, but and uh, although I'm wondering if maybe one of these teams is going to win, meaning the underdogs, Miami or the Mavs. But like it just like what is this really as obvious as as it may seem to some people? And like, you know, just because I haven't really given my the Celtics flowers yet, I agree the Tatum thing is obviously huge and like his shot making is just in a series with so much in both series, just like his shot making has just been insane. Like there, there's really mm-hmm. nothing, nothing to say beyond that. And like, you know, the, the variety he's able to, the variety that he's able to kind of, the variety of ways in which he's able to do it has, has improved pretty drastically over the past couple of years, I think. And that's, that's, that's really the key there. Um, the the reason, like, okay, I'll say, like, the, the kind of pro Celtics case. Like, I think the Celtics are built to win the championship because, and, like, this is kind of in the theme of the day, just, like, their versatility, especially defensively, has just been really, really, really impressive. You know what I mean? Mm. They've been able to, you know, Robert Williams, we'll see, you know, it's – seems like they brought him back from that surgery too soon and now his status will be touch and go for probably the at least until the finals but they've kind of been able to do the more traditional thing with Robert Williams at center and they've been able to do this small ball thing with with Grant Williams um and you know they really do not allow anything you know they really do not allow anything easy like a thing that definitely came up in both the net series and the and the buck series was just like other than uh you know Giannis and god how good is Giannis like Mm -hmm. it's kind of a shame like how that uh, and a fairly historic performance kind of ended up going to waste but like even with Giannis though like especially in that game seven like they really don't you know you have to really work like when you get the these threes they're con- they're contested like when your great players try and go iso they're not really getting off a very easy look their their paint defense is pretty much the best you know i've ever seen from a team that didn't have like a dominant big man um like and that it just fits i think that just bodes well against any team they're going to potentially face face going forward um kind of the pro Miami case I think they match up 
like if I were Miami, I think I would have rather seen the Celtics than the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Just from the standpoint of guarding Giannis would have been such a problem for this team. Uh, whereas, like you know, you have your you know you have you have Jimmy Butler, you have sort of other capable capable wing defenders, and you have you know a guy in Adebayo who who gives a, a somewhat different look. That you know, I don't think the Celtics are going to have the hardest time ever defending him but you know you you have at least an area where they have to sort of think about things whereas by the time the the, the by the time a couple games went by in the buck series you pretty much knew what their offensive mo was going to be from game to game right so so kind of that that is this heat team is just so hard to read for me man like I'm impressed a lot when I watch them. Like uh, a thing that I have to point out that we were wrong about definitely in the games I've watched, be it in the first round or against the Sixers is like these, like these mid bench guys really are quite good. You know what I mean? Like they've truly, and Duncan Robinson is still on the team, but like, we were kind of like making fun of like Max Struess and like I was watching uh I think it was the last game of the Hawks series I'm like holy shit Max Struess is really fucking good you know what mm-hmm. I mean like they're they just have been so so like they just have this very solid even-handed capable energy about around them that never quite blows me away like you know, it's not like the the Celtics thing where you're like, oh my god, Tatum, oh my god, you know, uh, you know, oh my god, the the defense, like, oh my god, Marcus Smart or whatever. But they 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 just seem to be really really capable. Um, and I, but it's just like I don't. What does it take? Like, it's just hard for me to lock into this. I do believe that, like, when you look at the talent level at the top end, you know. It's it's mostly it seems mostly even, you know, but like what is the blueprint? This is a hard thing for me to conceptualize. Like, what is the blueprint to Miami winning the series? Like, it's easy to just be like, is it like Jimmy Butler needs to go off? Is it like they need to find what? Like, how are they exploit? Like how are they really giving the Celtics team trouble? Or is it just, I think it's going to be kind of a repeat of the Bucks series where like, they're going to be a lot of close games and it's just going to probably come down to shot making. Uh, like, I don't right. know about the status of a guy like Lowry at this point, if he's all the way, I, I that's one thing I should have probably looked up and, and thought about. Like, is it like these X factor guys kind of, I, I'm, it's hard for me to – I feel like I have more of a clear idea in the Mavs series for, versus this. Well, maybe you can help me out. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually pretty tempted to take the heat in this series. Yeah, but, um, interesting. And, and, and the reason why I say that and, – and not that Boston looked – like, I think Boston's favored, clearly, but the only reason why I say um, – I'm tempted to take the heat. I think, I think some of the things like um, offensively for Boston that worry me a little bit, and they've been knocking down shots. Like, not mm-hmm. like yeah, they shot, they shot like fifty something threes in that, and they they knocked down I believe like forty percent of them um, in that game seven. But 
it just seems like when like in in the games that they struggled against the Bucks, like especially that game, I believe it was game one where they like missed a ton of threes and they got blown yeah. out uh, by the Bucks. They like it seemed like that's what they settled for. They settled for those threes, and then if if they really got into trouble, they like throw it out to Tatum with eight seconds, seven to eight seconds yeah, left, and just and then they're like, something. all right, yeah, here's your here's your ISO opportunity. And I yeah. think it can get a little bit like that for Boston if they're not knocking down their threes. And yeah, I, that's and, the point. And, and what you were getting at, which made me, which, which was what I was thinking about, was defensively for the Heat. I feel like they just they can match up decently well against this Boston team in terms of just having some of these wing guys like a PJ Tucker, like Jimmy Butler, that. Um, that can kind of match up against against like Tatum um, and not be super overwhelmed by what what it is that they're going through. And they have some like experience uh, championship wise, um, you know, going to the finals a couple of years ago in the bubble. So that that's not like I, I think that it's going to be really even series. And I would, if I had to put money on it, I'd probably put money on Miami. Um, in terms okay. Well, of, yeah. Not. Yeah. 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 Just like in terms of like, okay, value. Like, oh, value. Like I put money on my end. Um, okay. Like, and maybe I we'll do Lowry, picks at the end. Yeah, yeah, we'll do picks at the end. But Lowry, Lowry, I think is out. Uh, I just like. Yeah, he's, he's out for out game for one and game not one. practicing yet. So. Right. Yeah, and a, so thing, that's a, a thing I just thought about, um, and then we can move on to the Western Conference. Like the thing, I think I think I'd take the Celtics. I think I'm I'm still leaning toward the Celtics, and I like that because I feel like you're higher on Miami in this series, and I'm higher. Like not necessarily that I'm picking the Mavs, but I'm higher on the Mavs in the next series. So so I kind of like that we both have different sides here. But like the thing I'm interested in in seeing, like. And I, I'm excited to see Spolstra. I think this is really a chance for Spolstra to shine because I don't think the Bucks nor the Heat, I mean, nor the Nets, rather, have done a good job of, like, try, you know, it's a, they're a very good defensive team. They're difficult to exploit. But I don't think either team has had the capability nor necessarily the desire to try and pick out to try and exploit this team at all, even as simple as like when Peyton Pritchard is at the floor, put Peyton Pritchard in every action. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Try and try and go try and, you know, try and do stuff like to neutralize a guy like Grant Williams, you know, or, or, or what have you, you know, even like defensive adjustments, like a very good, there hasn't been, there've been a couple, but like we haven't really seen the scenario yet where like, Tatum isn't on and like other guys have to step up, you know, what are mm-hmm. the, the things you can do to kind of bring that about more often? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that happen because the thing is, you know, the thing I'm just somewhat nervous about and like, maybe there's always going to be one guy on the floor for the heat, like a Gabe Vincent, a Max Struess. There's always going to be this fifth guy. And I'm just like, it always gives you an easy place to attack, right? Like that, right, and right. that's sort of the that's sort of the reason I still give the Celtics the advantage is because when I look at these rosters top to bottom, I just see more places to, I see more easy places to sort of attack 
uh, on the Heat than the Celtics. But I definitely agree with you that it, it, I think it, I think it will be close. And both of these game ones, I'm kind of leaning towards like from my gambler value perspective angle, I kind of am leaning towards just betting on both the underdogs in game one, because it feels like that in at least one of, you know, the, I think most people are going to be expecting the, expecting the the favored team to, to come out strong. And I think at at least one, there's going to be a kind of like, Whoa, you know, yeah, this is yeah. this actually closer than we think uh, vibe after, after game one. So moving to the West, moving to the West, like I kind of wanted to pose the question I was alluding to you here. Uh, I was alluding to earlier, read the maths. Like, is this just a fun fluke that's about to sort of come to an end in a, in a relatively straightforward five, six games as, as probably the most talented team in the Western conference, you know, mm-hmm. at na- you know, the team that's looked the best throughout the playoffs so far, it waltzes to the finals, or is there actually something here where this, this might be more competitive than people think? Cause uh, like I said, it seems like to the average person, they think the Warriors are, are, are the favorites to win the finals. I, I'm not completely sure. It seems like you probably agree with that. If, if you're leaning towards Miami as well. Uh, so, yeah. so give me your, give me your take. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Golden State should be the favorites like for the rest of the, for the rest of the way going. And, and maybe this is like my 2017, you know, like that era of like yeah. my glasses just being colored over with that, those memories. But I'm just like, even this meant like the Memphis series, like I don't, I don't, I mean, there was trouble there, but I wasn't even in game six. I wasn't like, Oh, okay. They're, I, I didn't feel what they, sure. What the Suns kind of went through in game, yeah. in game six and game seven. Yeah. I was just like, I, I hear you. I was like, Oh, I think they're going to win and it should be comfortable for them. Um, yeah. And I mean, John Morant getting hurt, that was a huge part of that. Of course. But but I just felt like Golden State, they just really – they haven't really, really shown themselves. And, they sh- like, in game six they did, like, Clay actually shot the ball really well, uh, started shooting it better in game six. And, like, this whole Clay game six thing, like, uh, narrative was centered around that. But um, – yeah, I just feel really good about this Golden State team. And you brought up a couple different things, like who's guarding Luca, and um, you know, I was like, eh, like, isn't the natural person just to throw Wiggins on him? Um, and Wiggins has kind of been that guy that they've thrown, uh, like th- he's been like the the their defender that they throw on, um, um, basically like guys that handle the ball pretty well that yeah. are bigger so like it feels like that's going to be his like defensive assignment like you're literally just focusing on Luca this series and then maybe you have like Kuminga or someone like that or Otto Porter and I know Porter's been like kind of injured so maybe throw him on on, on Luca as well so like those are kind of the guys like I'm sure you'll get like one out of those three guys that are guarding guarding Luca and all these pick and roll actions, but I don't know. Like to me, I don't 
the the other it's it's so hard to evaluate what the Mavs role players are going to do because they're just so hot and cold from game to game yeah. that yeah I just trust I just trust Golden State's players more even though yeah like, no that's like very valid though, point. like right like even though like Draymond's kind of struggled like in the last series Clay hasn't really shot it well at all. Um, Jordan yeah. Poole's like defensively can be exposed. So like yes. watch him be put like, every pick and roll action and switch, yes. uh, like get switched on to Luka yeah. like, and yeah. basically me eat my words, but yeah. I don't know. I just feel like they have more paths to success in the, in, to, to win the, to win this series in comparison to like, we know the Mavs game plan. It's like Luka's going to be, playing like have the ball in his hands uh play pick and roll and like do all his playmaking and it's been pretty goddamn effective uh so far in in winning the first two rounds but I don't know it's just it like and this is weird because I'm such a big Luka fan but I don't feel like he has enough support to to beat this golden state yeah no that's yeah, I I think that and I, and I do think that part of it is is definitely true. Like I'm not even sure Luca has like a Jordan you know what I mean? It's not like the right. Warriors have necessarily like they're not really this tradition. It's it's so interesting to watch them because like there are the the style is of that very dominant Warriors dynasty team. But it is a little bit more of a by committee approach, like given what you mentioned before with Draymond struggling occasionally and Clay struggling occasionally and Steph struggling at the beginning of the playoffs somewhat, too, although he really Mm -hmm. turns it up as as the end of the Memphis series came about. Um, But I I totally understand, uh, understands that that point. Um, with that, make I the argument for me make, now. Yeah, yeah, I want to make the case for the Mavs, and like, I'm sorry to my friend Evan Crick, who is a Warrior fan, uh, which is tough to say, you know. But he, you know, he followed Steph Curry coming out of college and kind of struck gold there. And also, with apologies to, although this is maybe why I'm making the argument. My buddy Ryan also has a a futures bet on on the Warriors from the first round that is looking very good now, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just heard Nate Duncan breaking down sort of this today. And I, I just kind of started raising my eyebrows more and more like um, first and foremost, like the Wiggins guarding Luca thing. All right. Like Wiggins is a, yeah. Wiggins is a wing, like a wing. I don't know if he's necessarily a great defender though. Um, And in the past, like the thing that makes the Warriors defense effective has been this sort of like Draymond X factor thing. But I don't think that's really going to come into play this series with like, I think he's just going to be stuck on Kleba and like, yes, he can help off and try and play center field, but that doesn't really work against that works against a team that, you know, is playing a more traditional style, but in this sort of five out, you know, very, you know, uh, this five out dynamic kind of offense. I'm not quite sure that can work. Another thing to point out, I, to point out also, um, you are right. Like all of the, all of your observations about the, the Memphis series definitely 
makes sense. Uh, but a thing I wanted to point, like, the they were never in trouble game, the never in trouble thing, the game where they struggled the most, after game five where they really, really struggled, the, you know, the thing they, the adjustment they, like their back pocket card, you know, trump card was like, we're going to start Kevon Looney, right? Like they basically replaced Kaminga with Looney. By the right. way, I love Kaminga. Uh, but Looney is, I don't think Looney can really see the floor in this because Memphis was always, even if they went small, Jaron Jackson Jr. is still like a, like he's a traditional small ball five, right? Like mm. he still has, he's still center-ish. The Mavs, other than like Dwight Powell, who I don't think is going to figure into the series prominently, like they either, their their looks are more like Maxi Kleba, uh, who isn't like, you're not like running pick and rolls with all the time and stuff like that. No. And like Dorian Finney Smith at the five, like, which I think is a great, I think like the small versus small lineup matchups in this series are going to be absolutely a blast to watch. Like, mm-hmm. so you're not really going to have that. Like Looney is not the Looney of old who can just like kind of move his feet and defend on the perimeter and stuff like that. So if things start to go awry, you know, I don't really think they have as many op. They don't have as much optionality as they did in the Memphis series, and that's tampered by the fact as you know that they're actually low key pretty banged up. Gary Payton the second, who would have been absolutely a, a game changer in this series, given the amount of kind of guard uh, to wing playmaking that the Mavs have has a broken elbow and like would be super duper limited if he played at all. Andre Iguodala, who would be another horse has a neck injury and Otto Porter's banged up. I don't know, like maybe even two out of those guys play it's in some portions of the series, but, but they're not going to play all of the time. Okay. So, and I want to point out like, all right, let's assume Wiggins is going to guard Luca. And like you brought this up, like Luca's going to get his and, whatever it'll be fine like this is the first team that i think like re- like you know the mavs the the grizzlies had jaw when they and like they have a guy like desmond bain but they're not necessarily other than jaw they're they don't really have like a glut of like guys who can exploit weak defenders especially one-on-one like mm-hmm. if i'm especially after what i just saw spencer dinwiddie do to the suns if I'm Spencer Dinwiddie and I have Jordan Poole on me, I'm basically every time I get the ball just going right through him, you know what I mean, to the basket. Or if I'm Jalen Brunson and I have Jordan Poole on me, like I am going after Jordan Poole, at, you know, constantly. And, you know, mm-hmm. Steph and Clay, like, you know, are really not what they once were defensively either. Uh, you know, they just like, you just look up and down the floor and I'm like, if any team, you know, if any team, I guess other than possibly the Suns would have, but if if I'm looking at any team that really has the offensive firepower to make this, make this, uh, to make this team sweat, I, I think this is it. And, you know, on the other hand, you know, obviously the Warriors, what they kind of are offensively really needs no you know, explanation, but I think there will be, I'm interested to see if there are, I think there are going to be situation games where they just kind of have to outshoot the Mavs to win. And uh, the more that happens, the more the variance increases. And, you know, 
Warriors have championship pedigree, of course, but Andrew Wiggins doesn't have championship pedigree. Jordan Poole doesn't have championship pedigree. And, you know, Clay and Draymond, you know, have, like you said, maybe maybe the tide is starting to turn. And if that's the case, yes, they probably do win the series. But, um, but uh, you know, like, I, I'm not exactly sure I'm willing to just give the Warriors the, the check mark in, in, in that regard as, as I, as some people are. Yeah. And I, I mean, so I, that's I, the I totally, case. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I totally get that case. I, I'm just worried about if I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan, who that third guy is. Um, I mean, Jim sure. Woody was that guy in game seven, but before game six and seven, I think he shot under 30% from the field and in, in, from games one through yeah. five combined. Yeah, so like, that's fair. like the, the, the unevenness as to what performances you're going to get out of these guys is just like, all right, we'll see which guys show up uh, on a night to night basis. It seems like Brunson is that second guy behind Luca as the secondary ball handler uh, guy that can kind of make things happen offensively uh, when Luca you know, when Luca's tired or when Luca's out of the game that they seem to go to. But I, I it just kind of is a testament to like me being amazed at how Luca's carried this team to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, and I And two like, things and yeah, go, go ahead because like just to add like to play two things I completely neglected in my own sort of my own sort of case for the Mavericks were that you know, I haven't even mentioned Dorian Finney-Smith or uh, or Reggie mm-hmm. Bullock, and the Warriors probably have. You know, I mean, I will say the Suns probably had better defensive personnel to to sort of make those guys make plays than the Warriors do. But that's oh, that's still going to be somewhat of a of a. There's always an easy sort of route to at least forcing the Mavs to do something suboptimal. And I haven't mentioned, uh, you know, I didn't mention how the Mavs have to defend the Warriors once. So, you know, I'm not right, uh, right. completely blind to, to these things. So keep going though. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, no. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. I, I just feel like that's, that's just like my big concern. Like, I don't really know who that third guy is. And like, it just kind of speaks to Luca's magic and how good he is. And like legacy wise, what, like I think even after last year when Trey made the Eastern Conference Finals, they're like, oh, that trade wasn't that bad. Like you know what? Like Trey made the Eastern Conference Finals, and like to me, it's just kind of and, and it, to me, it's just like no, you 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 guys are wrong. <laughs> like you no, guys of course, it yeah, like. No, so of course. They, yeah, yeah. I love Trey Young as much as anyone, and of course, Luca is a class yeah. above. Yes, of right. Course. So, so I do wonder, um, you know, as we move forward, what Luca's like legacy, like he's starting to build his legacy, and what that ends up looking like, and, and you know, that's all open, especially with um, him making the Western Conference Finals. And I think if he makes it like a series and pushes it to like six, seven games against this Warriors team, I, I think a lot of people will be like, wow, Luke is like, like, especially on a national stage, I think people understand like basketball 
uh, like people that follow basketball pretty regularly, like us, like appreciate what Luca does. But I think on a national stage, still people are like, oh, like, is he really like, is he really that good? I feel like that's still kind of the conversation in terms no. of like very normal people not knowing I, who he is. I, I totally agree. And I wonder if, especially if it's uh you know, remember, like we're entering sort of, we're at this end of a, you know, we're in this somewhat transitional period where guys like LeBron and KD are sort of into their tail end of the, their careers. And, and the next generation is, you know, not to say like Luca was rot, like Luca basically became an MVP, a fringe MVP candidate immediately. But I wonder if he's like, if going into next, if, especially if they like, is he a top three, you know, cause I think everyone knows like he's a top 10 player in the NBA kind of thing, but there's a big difference between that and like the top three or four. Um, mm-hmm. and I want, like, I feel like, uh, you know, like is Luca the best player in the league even becomes a, becomes a conversation people are having more and more if, if they go to seven or, you know, even win the series. Totally agree. So Andrew, why don't we give our, our, our uh, our predictions and then, uh, we okay. can kind of touch upon our, uh, our own teams, the Nets and the Blazers. So. Uh, let's. Uh, I'm curious to hear your predictions, and then I'll give mine, and then we'll we'll move on to the Nets and the Blazers. Yeah, um, I am going to go. Like I, I, I'm just going to go. I have to go. I think I do have to. I was definitely thinking about taking the Mavs, but I think I have to go. Like kind of a cop out and say Celtics in seven, Warriors in seven, which I think is like that is a. It's going out on a limb somewhat, but 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 not nearly enough. Like I said, I think one of the two teams definitely win win game one. Uh, I'll probably be betting on both teams, uh, both 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 of the underdogs in the series in game one. Um, but uh, yeah, I think ultimately the favorites do. I do lean towards the edges of the favorites, and uh, hopefully we get fun series. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna take both both favorites then i don't you know i don't know what i and then i will just for for shits and giggles as a marker of where i'm at right now i will take the celtics in seven to win the finals okay uh that's interesting um i think i have so i have golden state in six and then and against the Mavs, and then in this miami series i kind of made this convincing argument for miami and then it's just like can You're I doing really what I just did trigger, with the math. Trigger. Right. Like, can I really yeah. pull the trigger on this? Like, if if there's a case, it's like Miami and seven. Because I don't yeah. know Boston. Like, Boston proves that they can win games on the road, like in that game six against Milwaukee, um, to yeah. save off elimination. But, like, I don't see Miami winning in six. If they're going to win, they're going to win in seven. Yeah. Um, and then Boston, like – yeah, this is where I'm having trouble, like, figuring that out. But I, I think I'm going to take Boston in seven, and then um, I'm going Warriors in seven. Warriors in seven. All right. Yeah. So we do have differing – we do have differing uh, finals picks, which is fun. I feel like we've been in lockstep a lot 
over the years. Uh, yep. So, congratulations. But based on how predictions have gone so far, I'd like to say congratulations to all the Mavs and Heat fans. Uh, yep. You're going yeah. to the finals. Yeah, so, I know. exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, whatever. We When you throw a I, – I have – the doing this podcast has – and also, you know, this is mostly for – we're mostly just talking to ourselves anyway, so it doesn't totally. matter. But it, doing this podcast does make me have respect for NBA pundits. Like, you know, especially if you don't feel like if you're not truly watched, which we uh, we're more locked in than the average. But unless you're really parsing, like making pre- predicting the NBA is just so is really hard. I think, you know, it's, it's easier than predicting like a, a sport with more parity like the NFL. Uh, but mm-hmm. as I mentioned before, I th- I think it's actually like we've seen talent kind of become more and more condensed, uh, which, you know, we I don't know. I don't want to. We have to talk about other stuff. So maybe maybe we'll do like a post finals discussion about that. I kind of wanted to talk about casual fandom and like the strength of the NBA on the whole looking forward. Right. But, but maybe we can talk about that in the offseason. Uh, yeah, but like, we'll anyway, long story post, short. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely yeah, have like a little post mortem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Post basketball, talk um, about random stuff. Those are always the best. Those are probably of least interest to other people. But my basketball, our basketball philosophy discussions are always uh, enjoyable to me. Anyway, the point I was making was just like I do think the hardest thing to do is to like forecast this stuff, and uh, I definitely have respect for people who have to do that after making so many predictions over the years. All right, buddy, we have to do two two quick things. You know, sometimes Nets Blazers talk is a bit of a formality, but unfortunately I can't really let you I can't let you off the hook in this podcast without <sighs> talking about the Nets and, and their disappointing result in the playoffs. I'm just clearing out I'm just like you've had here's the good thing. You've had the chance to kind of process the initial pain has probably gone away somewhat, but the uncertainty, the uncertainty, we didn't even talk about the, maybe we can fold in some Sixers talk here, you know, in a second, because yeah. I just kind of want to take a couple I'll of pot shots, <laughs> but you know, like the, so like that, the positives are you've had some time to decompress, you know, it's not as if the Philadelphia 76ers and James Harden are going to the championship. Uh, Ben Simmons had back surgery. That's interesting. What do you? What? What are we? What are we feeling here? Just, just let it all. I just want every. I want every thought in the book on on the Brooklyn Nets right now from you. The window feels closed. Like wow. As simple as that. Wow. Is it feels closed? Wow. Like that's kind of how I. I saw so like as I was watching this that series unfold in, in round one and how they ended up getting swept by Boston, I was like and maybe this is how Boston fans felt the year before when the, the Nets without, you know, sure. a full strength Nets team beat the Celtics team uh beat yeah. the Celtics team and look at where the Celtics are right now. But it doesn't feel like there's it doesn't feel like there's much uh, hope or um, optimism moving forward for this team. I mean, Kevin Durant just getting a year, you know, he's getting a year older. Kyrie 
future with the Nets is up in the air. Sean Marks' post, uh, post, like, I guess, like, season, like, uh, yeah. press conference was basically, we need a more committed Kyrie, and uh, he needs to actually be committed to being a good teammate and a good uh uh, uh, a player that's going to be playing games, <laughs> which is as simple as that sounds like that's pretty much what Sean Marks said during that press yeah. conference uh, about yeah. Kyrie and, and the, the thought of giving Kyrie a max extension with the amount of money that he'll be receiving. And then uh, just, and, and for whatever, like um, things that, he has as a as a person in terms of what he believes in and what stances that he needs to make uh, regarding social activism, regarding vaccine stances, things like that. What put those things to the side, like, and in terms of what he means to the Nets and what he needs to be on the court, like they need to rely on him and if he's going to be in and out of the lineup like he was this past season, it's going to be tough to, to have a very coherent team. And you, I feel like what you saw in the playoffs was not that they had a necessarily a lack of talent. There were just, I think the roster was definitely a little bit misconstrued or uh, misconstructed in terms of, um, in terms of the length and the height that, Boston was able to exploit in their mismatches, but yeah. Kyrie, but Kyrie just like when he was on the court, he performed well. He, you know, like I think he averaged like over twenty-seven points a game. Like it would have been like I think seventh or eighth in the league in terms of scoring. Like he did perform well. It's just the the amount of consistency and the level of reliance or the lack of reliance that the Nets were able to have on him this season was just so. Um, it's so unpredictable what to expect from the situation. And then yeah. it doesn't even get into like the whole Ben Simmons thing where <laughs> he's going to play game four, but then why wouldn't he play game three? Then it comes out after they lose game three, he's out for the season going to get, and then he's, you know, getting back surgery a week later. So it was a lot of just like so much uncertainty as a, as a fan which, you know, they don't really owe us anything in terms of like, okay, these are the injuries that these guys are going through, but it just, I don't know. Like it it feels like the all time lose, lose trade of forever (laughs) between, between us and and Philly, because now Philly has this kind of conversation going internally for them trying to figure out, do we, do we offer James Harden this max money? Um, which I'm sure, like, if you had to, um, if you had to get, <laughs> you had to get their front office in in a secret room, and whether or not they'd want to offer him that much money, like, I doubt they're they're pushing their chips into the table and saying, "All right, we're giving you, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever you want." It doesn't seem realistic. Um, especially with just the uh, the downturn of some of his production this year, um, it just seems like one of those things where they're kind of they they have their hands tied behind their back because they made their final move. It seems like it doesn't seem like I I don't know how that team improves uh, by getting rid of Harden 
without getting anything back in return. Um, and that, and like they have a guy in Tyrese Maxey that, you know, it seemed like he was developing and improving a ton this off this, this season. So um, there's a lot of questions there for Phil going back to the net. Um, and this is my, like my way of like give paying you home, uh, like uh, paying you respect to Andrew by going on this long tirade, but it's just like, this team doesn't feel like they have things together. Like, like, and, and like, and, and do I point the blame at Steve Nash? Like, it doesn't feel like even him, like, and I feel bad that I'm kind of throwing him under the bus, but like, even him, like some of the, some of the rotations didn't seem right in the playoffs. Um, there's yeah. a lot of inconsistency with a roster. Um, like, like, I mean, playing three, six, three, six, two to six, three guys against the Boston Celtics who have all this length and switchability didn't feel right in terms of like, all right, we're leaving Seth Curry on the Island to kind of guard Jason Tatum, which seems yeah pretty ridiculous. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems so like the roster construction, like it, it, it was kind of like the season from hell and yes, it definitely was. And there doesn't seem like it's going to – like, I don't know how this team really improves other than, like, improving around the edges and then hoping Simmons comes back to his all-star self and can provide all the things defensively that we wanted to see from him um, for a couple months this season. So that's pretty much where I'm at with this team. And I don't know if it's, like, warranted, but that's just how I feel. <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh... – that was a much more coherent, uh, a much more coherent uh, rant than I would ever be able to manage in in that situation. And I, I have a couple of reactions. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try and try and keep it somewhat. Um, try and keep it somewhat concise because you're you're more of the expert. One thing you just didn't mention was Joe Harris getting hurt, which although he wouldn't have really solved any of the defensive qualms you're 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 mentioning. If, I think in a world where they have a little bit more stability with him and like he does saw he does give you although Seth you know Seth Curry in theory should have been able to replace some of it you know I like just the lack of consistency and the lack of consistent offensive production from these role players might have might have been remedied somewhat by that but I don't think I don't think it's a thing you can hang your hat on but I just wanted to throw that into the pool as well. Uh, so let's start. Uh, let's start in turn here. I'm gonna run, I'm gonna lay out like a lawyer. Well, what at what points I'm gonna hit? That way I stick to them. One will be one will be. I don't think the window's closed. Two will be. I think a person that underratedly you didn't assign blame to who deserves it is Kevin Durant. And then three Sixers. Okay. One, the window hasn't closed. I definitely understand the feeling you have of like the window has closed. Uh, but like it, as a ther, you know, to put on my sort of therapist hat, I think that fe- what you're actually feeling and a, a feeling that you definitely have to deserve that you deserve to have. Um, I think what you're by saying the window is closed, what you're actually doing is recognizing that like, the the original conception of this Nets team that like it would come that talent would rule the day and that they were going to be as so long as they had KD and Kyrie and you know it was 
Harden also. You know, as so long as this is the core, they're always going to be final content finals contenders and that you know we definitely talked about this going into the season like I think there had always been this thought of like yeah there is some inherent instability with these personalities but it doesn't really matter they don't even need to play every game they don't even need to you know get you know it doesn't even need to be like buddy buddy uh great vibes all the time it'll just kind of work like the idea that it'll all just kind of work out Oh, it's, it's like RIP to that dead and buried mm-hmm. for sure. Right. But, and I think that's fair. And I think that sucks as a fan to have to reckon with because like this team has not been fun. You know what I mean? There are no good vibes and they haven't really produced results. You know, there hasn't really been results. Um, they haven't made the conference finals since, you know, Kevin Durant came came to the team and I think there that's where your despondency is coming from which is fair however I don't think you can truly say the window is closed for a couple reasons one I do think it was the season from hell as you pointed out and I think the you know there's always going to be instability with Kyrie of course he even prior to this year he went on a sabbatical last year that we had a lengthy discussion about I god do I not want to talk about Kyrie Irving's personality and political quirks right now but um the vaccine thing is going to be that's not lingering anymore and i think the ver i do think this there it's not always going to be you know as adam levine from maroon five said it's not always rainbows and butterflies it's compromise (laughs) you know that's that that's uh you know like I don't think it's going to be rainbows and butterflies, but I do think it, this distinct set of circumstances is not going to arise going forward. Um, and the other, so that's, that's sort of point one in favor of the window as it goes. And the other thing is like, you highlighted this instability, but like the thing is when you go up and down the teams in this league, it's not like this is happening in an era where there's like a Warriors-esque dynasty. You know what I mean? It's not like we're right. being like, and you know the Lakers are coming back strong. Or like, even like if the Celtics or the Warriors win the finals, certainly they'll come into next season as like a championship contender again. But not like some sort of unbeatable juggernaut, right? Like, so... You know, I'm operating under the premise that you laid out. I don't have to respond to every single point that you made. I think Kyrie, for I, I maybe deep down you'd long for a scenario where this won't happen, but I certainly think Kyrie is coming back. And, you know, like I think they will find ways to retool. Hopefully Nash improves from year one to year two. I shared a lot of the, the qualms you had. Um, but kind of pivoting off that, the reason why, like, I think some of this blame gets should get assessed to Kevin Durant is like whatever his performance in the in the in the Celtics series was somewhat underwhelming you know it was a very difficult you know what I mean like I don't completely fault his inability to like carry the load against one of the better defensive teams of recent vintage you know under a flawed roster that's fine but but he deserves some of it um and the other thing is like you know, Kevin Durant is one of the, you know, 15 greatest players of all time, right? I have always, we've had lengthy conversations about Kevin Durant before. I find him to be, I like him and I find him to be like one of the most fascinating 
athletes of our generation. Like, I Mm. love how weird he is. I love how insecure he seems to be at points. Like, he seems like a real person to me, and I appreciate that. However, Mm. however, like, he has his role in, like, allowing this culture of sort of what the fuck is going on, what is our direction, does anyone actually care about what's happening, begins with him, right? Like, he's not a strong personality. For all the, like, you know, people, the all the lead GM, you know, LeBron passive-aggressive social media posts, you know, all of that shit, he certainly care. Like, you never doubt that he really, really has a strong set of beliefs concerning how he can win a championship and how his team should be playing. And like in at least his own way assumes a leadership role. Right. Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant, uh, Kevin Durant seems to not really care. He seemed to not really particularly care what Kyrie Irving was doing. He seemed to like not really be particularly uh, invested in his ability to come back to the team. Uh, he didn't seem to, you know, like he, he doesn't seem to like take particularly strong stances on how his team, you know, how his team should play. Uh, he kind of just, you know, he, he, he's a great, great basketball player who's able to adjust to the flow of the game as well as anyone, but he certainly doesn't have to see, have strong stances on, you know, the, the style of the team should play. And he's not really a leader. He's not really much of a leader. That's it's a first, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, a lame opinion. Like it's, I hate saying shit like that, but like, when has he ever shown an ability to like anchor a team? You know what I mean? Like anchor a team. Mm. Like it doesn't seem to be what he has much of an interest in doing. And this team is crying out for some, and it was the thing I talked to you about, about Nash. Like this team is crying out for some sort of anchoring force. Like I'll give you an example. When you look at the golden state warriors, like I guess Draymond's really their leader, but like the thing that anchored them was like Steve Kerr's sort of style of play, right? Like that mm-hmm. sort of ball movement, whatever, like that is their grounding principle. Like a team, like uh, any team LeBron's on, the fact that LeBron James is on the team is the grounding principle. Like, what is the Nets anchor that they're that they're going to, you know, lean on going forward? Because clearly, just like we have really good players, is is not it. And that's a thing I'm I'm certainly concerned about. The Simmons mm-hmm. thing, just to quickly breeze past that, like the Simmons thing at this point, I'm hope. If he if we get to the start of next year and there's still shit lingering, you're fucked. Basically, like it's yep. over at that point. Yep. No, no. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm willing to give him at this point. I don't think there's much you can do besides be like, all right, he's now had back surgery. I disagreed. I didn't think he should come back in the Celtics series. I didn't once it once you knew the series was over. I just like I didn't see how any more good than harm could come from him coming back. Uh, but like at this point, really, all there is to say is like, all right, man, you you got you know you didn't come back this season, but like you know, here he, give you. get right, <laughs> and we'll give you all the resources you need, and then next year we'll see what happens. And if that happens, there'll be I think there'll be a interest. 
you know, it'll give them sort of uh, an initial starting point for that size and athleticism and, you know, defensive tenacity that you were talking about at the very least. Uh, but we can save that that for another day. Um, and like concerning the Sixers trade, it really is fast. It, uh, it's it's fast like that. Like it's like uh, th- I cannot think of a like shorter honeymoon period for a trade, like a trade of a sub- quote unquote superstar that's ever happened. It was like two weeks. Like I think I, I made this joke. Say, to- weeks, I think yeah. I made this joke to you. It's like you know, you watch like the toxic relationship and they <laughs> break up and then they get back together and you're like, Oh my God. They're like, they might actually make, Oh no, no, they're exactly. It's like, they're back. Exactly the same. They're fighting almost immediately. Like that's kind of the, the vibe, the vibe around the Sixers. And like, I, I agree. What can you do? Like they don't, they don't seem like they're going to fire doc rivers, which would have been an obvious, I mean, doc rivers has, become one of the most like it seems like doc rivers has become one of the more detested widely detested figures in in the nba like i I don't really see and i would certainly rather like bring in some sort of hot shot assistant at this point to just try and give things i wouldn't want to bring in d'antoni certainly but you know i i don't really see what the rationale is with sticking with him uh like what like I like trading Tobias Harris like to me being like they can trade Tobias Harris is like me being like you know what I could fix all my personal problems if I just like move I could just like move I could always just like move to Italy and like start a new you know what I mean it's like Mm. yeah you're just saying fucking things at this point there's no I have no belief that you could even like that you could actually trade Tobias like that idea has been lingering so long with so seemingly little weight to it that I cannot hang my hat on that. Um, and I'll be interested to see the thing about the Maury, the Maury Harden sort of what are they going to do situation? It does seem interesting. Harden to me seems to have like, and you saw, I think you saw this in some of the comments where he was like, I definitely want to be back here. Like we'll make it work. Like I think mm-hmm. Harden has, you know, I don't want to ascribe too much self-awareness to him, but I do think he kind of has this idea of like, I, I kind of have to make it work here. Like I can't really, if I, if I make, you know what I mean? Like if I cause this kind of a situation again, like it's, you know what I mean? Like this phase of my career as like a really good NBA player is probably over. So like, Agreed. I don't you think it, I, I'm, I really am fascinated to wonder what, where Maury's head's at, because if you like, if anyone were like going to suddenly go like, you know what, this isn't working and let's cut, you know, go a different direction. You think it would be Maury, but I do. I, I wonder if this is one chance where like, this is one situation where NBA GM logic kind of will get to him. And he's like, I did this. I really can't admit to failure here. And we just have to make it work. Um, like my, you know, maybe he gets, maybe he gets signed to like less of a max or like uh, something under the mat, you know, maybe there's like a some sort of, type of thing. Yeah. Like I do. I feel like they'll find a resolution. That's like not as, horribly crippling but I'm certainly not feeling good if I'm a Sixer fan especially given how much of a wet 
as as our friend Chris would say, how much of a stale fart that last that last game was. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and Embiid was hurt. You know, he was an MVP candidate this year, but like, you know, there are always going to be longevity question marks surrounding him. The one thing you have to hope, I guess, if you're if you're a Sixers fan, is like Maxie's still pretty young, and like he can hopefully still continue to get better. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like the Celtics. The, it's kind of like the Celtics type thing where it's like, we've seen, you know, these good players can take extra, you know what I mean? They can take steps and like sometimes by virtue of just keeping things, like sometimes if you continue to roll it back, you do, eventually you do find the right chemistry. Do I have a belief that that will happen surrounding this team? I hate to say it, but not really. Uh, but mm-hmm. but it's certainly certainly a piece of hope. All right. Speaking of hope, I mean, is there anything else you want to touch on there, or can I can I have can we just have five minutes of good juju for the for the lottery tomorrow? All right. There is nothing else that more that I want for you other than um, we are hoping top three lottery pick. It seems like top three, right, Andrew? Top three. Uh, I haven't I, done much. I haven't done much college scouting research or anything like yeah, that. Oh yeah, well, top three. Yes, the 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 lottery has been altered. We're like the top four. Can you can move up? But obviously, top three would be, you know, top Ideal. three would the the top three. The the it seems to be delineated by top three prospects. Uh, you know for sure. Or the Jabari game Smith. like basically the way I, yeah Javari uh, Smith a Paolo Boncero or a Chad Holmgren uh you know it seems like the idea it, unfortunately I I don't think we've podcasted since this happened unfortunately the oh, CJ no, McCollum trade took the CJ McCollum trade took took a big hit because they against all odds actually the Pelicans against all odds made the playoffs. Thus leaving. So Andrew, you're telling me that that bad trade got even worse than it was. (laughs) Well, I I don't I don't know if that I'm I'm okay with I'm honestly actually okay with the CJ deal. All things considered, Uh, I still feel okay about the the situation for this this sort of overall basket of assets for this team going up forward. And Josh Hart has been really really good thus far and is cheap. So. So I'm okay with that. You know, the I'm more, you know, although I don't think Pat, like not getting any value for Powell and Covington is the thing I'm more, I'm more upset about than the, than the CJ deal, honestly, in retrospect, but it still sucks. Basically, you know, as a poker player, we got dealt, you know, like the odds of what, sometimes you get dealt pocket, you know, Kings, you get it in against pocket tens and a 10 comes on the flop. You, you know, you had an 80% chance to, to win, and you didn't, but you, you, you can't really be too too upset about that. But this is why, and I'm pounding my hands on my bed right now, we are due for a fucking good break. We're sending Damian Lillard to the lottery, like which I really, really appreciate, because to me, Damian Lillard going to the lottery is really – I don't need any more signs of commitment from the guy, but it truly, it, it augurs that like he is really invested in still invested in the success of this team and behind one is behind sort of 
what they are doing and two believes that there is a viable path forward to that for them and that this this lottery is a part of it you know i'm rooting for the top i i just think the top three scenario is really really fun and uh i'm looking at tagasan right now the they currently have they basically have the sixth pick to start and they have a 37% chance of jumping into the top 4. So this is not a remote this is not a remote thing by any circumstances. I believe I think the kind of node locked path for them is like if they get a top 3 pick they make it and if they get something lower than that they trade it is probably probably what happens. Uh how do you would you kind of feel like do you think that's the right way to approach this or like what would you be what would you be sort of as sort of a junior blazer aficionado slash fan yourself what would your kind of hopes and thoughts be going into I mean, the lottery yeah the hopes are like hopefully some of that like i don't know it kind of reminds me of when cleveland like lost LeBron or something like that. Sure. And and like they magically got another top pick. Like it yeah. it definitely does seem like Portland is Yes, if the NBA gods are gonna you know Right, right. It it does feel like if Portland is kind of on the cusp like of of getting a top pick Damian Lillard has done all of the right things that you would want in like a superstar type of player, staying yeah. committed, staying loyal, like, and like as an NBA, like league office person slash, like if there's an NBA God out there, you would hope that you would want to reward a player slash situation like that with the top pick. So hoping, like, obviously, like, you'd want number one um, or two or three, but, like, you'd probably take any of those three players. Um, uh, yeah, I almost Caro, prefer three. Nick. I almost prefer three because I, if you get the first pick, especially if Holmgren's looking like the guy, there's just such a weight of history hanging over your head. True. I'd almost rather just prefer to go get three and take whoever falls, falls to That's us, fair. but, you know. Well, yeah, we'll, that's fair. We'll see. But but I but I am hoping uh for good luck for the Blazers because they definitely deserve it. And let's say if they I, I think they're what, in sixth position if they yeah if they don't move up. So if they're in the sixth position it seems like it's probably gonna be someone like uh like the Duke kid AJ Griffin who's like a six seven, six six wing type of player that can shoot the three and handle the ball a little bit. Like yeah, that, and they like, certainly it, can, that's like the profile type of guy. They certainly can get help there, but I I am curious if at that point the calculus starts to come into play of like what can this pick value actually pr- provide versus versus what we can like is this the is it the night if they get, have the sixth or seventh pick is this the night the Jeremy Grant type trade happens? We'll see. Uh, before we move of all, off this to try and. You know, it'll be funny either way. Uh, just, you know, and the rest of the lottery, it's not worth of The other team that I think something could interesting happen with tomorrow is Indiana. You know, following the Halliburton trade, they are another team that, like, is looking to kind of more do more of a reset. And uh, 
they're in the fifth position. Everyone else is kind of the usual tankers. Uh, I was, for humor's sake, I'm on an NBA draft lottery simulator. Let's run one simulation and see where, Ooh, where the Blazers are. Okay. Up. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm hitting the button now. Oh my God! They jumped up to the second overall pick in in this simulation. So this simulation <laughs> has Sacramento one, Portland two, Detroit three, and Orlando four. So well, you know, if we do an if, if an emergency pod is incoming in the days following the lottery, it's going to start with you editing in that that clip, or perhaps is- we will be laughing about this when they drop down to eight or whatever and take like. <laughs> Some sort is, of Latvian, some sort of European prospect who I've never heard of that's going to be stashed for for two years. Um, yeah, I, so we'll see. I'm. Yeah, if it's number two, I think the um, I think Jabari Smith, who's like this the this like four five stretch five that could be a stretch five shoots the three like at like forty percent in college would be the the pick <laughs> that that's probably the pick I will happily like I truly do feel agnostic between the top three I just want to I just want to have the luxury of worrying about that so so we'll see all right man Our, so I mean we this was this was a lot of fun I wasn't expect as usual we go longer than I'm ever expecting to but uh I I feel like we covered everything I wanted to cover and uh you know had fun had fun talking about it so yeah of course and then uh we'll uh definitely have to catch a finals game so uh Andrew, oh yeah for a, sure thanks a lot for coming on to the pod once again and uh let's see Ho- let's see what uh our predictions uh how our predictions do for the lottery and for the nba finals so thanks again for coming on andrew